Welcome to the Joyful Weight Loss Podcast, where each week we discuss the science of food as medicine, its impact on metabolic health and obesity, Christian approaches to gluttony, and how to find joy and grace during weight loss. I'm your host, Sarah Wells, MD. I'm a wife and mom of four, a weight loss coach, and a physician specialized in obesity and lifestyle medicine. I've also lost over 90 pounds and kept it off for years. This is your stop for the tools and encouragement you need to improve your health and show up at your best to love and serve your community. This information is for educational and informational purposes only and solely as a self-help tool for your own use. I am not providing medical, psychological, or nutrition therapy advice. You should not use this information to diagnose or treat any health problems or illnesses without consulting your own medical practitioner. Always seek the advice of your own medical practitioner and or mental health provider about your specific health situation. For my full disclaimer, please go to www.joyfulweightloss.com forward slash disclaimer. Welcome back, friends. So today's episode is basically something I describe as kind of a sermon to myself. In other words, I have not arrived yet. Um, There are just so many voices out there in the world, and my memory of what is true really stinks sometimes. So I have to remind myself of the truth a lot. And this is one of those times. Um, I talked about under episode number five about how perfection is not necessary for us to get results in improving health and in weight loss. And it is not We can definitely get health and weight loss results with being better instead of perfect and with putting progress ahead of perfection. But what about that feeling many of us have of something like moral imperfection, that sense that we are supposed to be perfect, supposed to be, and that drive we keep having, we keep feeling and having to reach for perfection? that just doesn't seem to go away for some of us. Well, that prickling of conscience that we have when we don't measure up to some standard, it's it's the dread of that feeling that can sometimes cause us to be paralyzed from a fear of failure or can drive us to feel like we have to treat ourselves in some kind of punitive way when we experience that sense of failure. For example, um, perhaps we would treat ourselves in a more restrictive way in regard to eating or maybe exercise more because we feel like we have behaved like a glutton. Well, where is all that coming from? If we know that perfection isn't necessary for progress, then why do we still want it? Why do we absolutely long for perfection? Well, I think it's our nature to think we are supposed to be perfect because we were created in the image of God and we sense that he wants us to be perfect, that he is perfect, and we want his approval whether we realize it or not. So is God okay with us not being perfect? Does he actually demand perfection? Well, let's look at a couple of verses from the Bible. Matthew 5, 48 says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then Galatians 3, verse 10 says, 
for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Hmm. Well, now, so if I'm telling myself that God understands if I'm not perfect, then, and if I read those scriptures, it seems like we have a problem. Um, But before we talk more about that, let's go back to the beginning, the very beginning. It was never meant to be this way. The creator himself brought humans into existence, and then he called us good. We were made in what the ancients call the image of God. We were made imagio dei. But then in that Garden of Eden, mankind fell. When you read the biblical account in Genesis, it, de- it describes that something inside of us was broken by the fall of man. Our very nature broke. The nature of the entire world broke because humanity rebelled against the created order. This affected humanity and the world for all time. And the Genesis account specifically mentions it having a generational impact, perhaps manifesting from changes to our DNA, maybe changes to our brain circuitry and our physiology. But regardless, it led to disease and death. It's also described as being a deeply spiritual brokenness and loss. People could no longer walk with and commune with his or her creator. And instead, that relationship, which was and is so, so vital to the well-being of our souls, was broken. So our desires are bent away from what they ought to be. We want the things that we shouldn't want. And we don't want the things that we should want. We are forever battling within ourselves. Now, deep down, we know that we weren't meant to be this way. And we feel that lack, that shortfalling, and it drives our striving, our deep guilt, and our fear over failures. It's a pretty heavy weight to carry. It can make us obsessive or it can paralyze us. We measure ourselves by this impossible impossible standard because it was a part of our original design. We were perfectly designed like God. And deep within us, we want to know that he approves of us. We want that relationship that was broken in the garden to be restored. And when we're living like perfectionists, it's because we think that our performance is the only way to fix it. We may not be conscious of this being the driver, that that soul-level brokenness when we lost the relationship with our creator, it's, it's like we're on a subconscious level trying to win back his approval. So if I'm starting with this belief in our design, then how do I handle the feeling of failure of not measuring up, of not being morally good enough. Well, I actually accept that it is true, that I am not good enough. In the book of Romans, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. I won't ever measure up to a moral standard that is perfect. I have to accept that. I am just not going to live perfectly enough for God's approval. My best won't 
ever be good enough to earn God's love. Since I can't ever be perfect, I can't ever earn his approval. But you see, this is the part where I really want you to hear me. I really want you to hear me on this. All that is why Jesus is just so beautiful to me. You see, God told us to be holy, and then he gave us Jesus. As the ancient theologian Augustine of Hippo said, O Lord, command what you will and give what you command. In other words, he commands perfection, but then he sends Jesus to be perfect in our place. And God very well knows that I am full of mistakes, yet he offers a clean slate. And the clean slate isn't just offered once. I can have it rewiped, so to speak, every time I mess up again and again and again. And it's because of Jesus. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set you free from the law of sin and death. This is what it means when Christians talk about how their sins are paid and that they are forgiven. This is why we get so excited about it. That experience of walking with the Creator Himself through life, like it was in the Garden of Eden, can be recovered in a way. This is where spiritual healing from the fall happens and the restoration of a relationship that was broken. He is perfect, and to be able to walk with Him through life and be accepted by Him I've got to deal with these mistakes I make. So I don't want to ignore sin or shrug it off and say it's okay or make excuses. There's just too much at stake on a soul level. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. According to John Owen, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, he says, You must always be at it while you live. Do not take a day off from this work. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. While it is true that I might get excellent at understanding the science of obesity and I might improve my habits and get increasingly healthier, those things don't take away my sin. Hitting a scale weight or achieving certain cholesterol levels or finally landing in the healthy BMI category don't somehow earn me acceptance before God as morally perfect. Believe me, I still deal with the sin of gluttony. I've made progress in physical health, but I still have to fight my misplaced desires that would worship food and crave excess every day. This doesn't come down to what or how much I eat, but why I'm eating. For me, it's almost like a form of idolatry that I have to continually root out of my life and destroy. So what does this look like for me as a Christian on a practical level? How do I handle it when I make mistakes? Or rather, how ought I to handle it? First, I've got to call it what it is. If I know I've sinned, I can't try to cover over and pretend that it's not sin. If I do, I won't be able to deal with it honestly. I have to be willing to ask myself hard questions. 
Have I behaved like a glutton by loving food more than God? Have I failed to make eating occasions times of worship of Him? And am I using food for something other than what He intended, like for comfort or for entertainment or to satisfy my whims and cravings rather than for nourishment? He wants me to turn to Him for comfort. Have I turned to the equivalent of an idol instead? Now, this is different than eating when I'm hungry and enjoying the gift of the good taste of nourishment. This is different than enjoying a reasonable portion of a special food. It's different than feasting and fellowshipping with others and celebrating within the bounds of what is good. I'm talking about flat-out gluttony, and that looks different in different people. I can't in any way tell you if someone else is making choices out of gluttony, and it's none of my business. But y'all, I know when I'm making those choices, and it is my business to deal with my own issues in this area. Gluttony happens in people of all sizes, thin and not thin. And God is the only one who sees the heart, not just the outward appearance, which is all we see. So we each have to meet with God over this issue in our own lives and ask him to help us see where we're wrong. So it starts with this confessing a confessing of what I'm doing that I should not do, and a confessing of what I'm not doing, which I should do. So when I'm handling it as I should, it turns into what is more commonly known to Christians as repentance. Repentance. As Christians, we're called to a lifestyle of repentance. This means going through our days, kind of listening for that sense of direction from God's Spirit, and taking time to recognize it when we are convicted of something wrong in our hearts, and then to confess and to say sorry in my heart to God for screwing up and for accepting, accepting that I'm forgiven when I ask him to forgive me because of Christ, and then asking him to help me see how to do it differently. Walking through life like this isn't something you can explain or check off. There's not an app for living in communion with Jesus. It's almost like breathing. It's like, a, it's like a way of life. And if we don't do it on a soul level, our soul suffocates. And then we start looking for other things to help fix our soul issues. Like we'd reach for physical things that make us physically sick because our sickness isn't physical. It's soul level because we're trying to fix soul issues with the wrong stuff. Now, some Some things will always be a struggle. For me, I think gluttony will always be something I fight, and I'll keep fighting it imperfectly, but I'll keep fighting it. And with a lifestyle of repentance, this constant cycle of turning away comes a lifestyle of freedom. That sense of freedom comes every time I remember again that I'm forgiven and that I'm seen as perfect by my creator. It's an immensely freeing feeling, and it's the gift that Christ gives me. It really brings deep peace and joy. It changes everything about my life every single day. What this ends up doing is giving me the freedom to keep pursuing excellence, even imperfectly, and not out of guilt or out of doing penance for mistakes, not out of being paralyzed by fear of missing perfection, but out of joy out of gratitude and out of love. And being driven to excellence out of a sense of gratitude and love toward God is so much more powerful and joyful 
than being driven by guilt and fear. I often forget, because my memory is so bad, about how this good news changes everything. I forget, and I stumble into perfectionism at times. So I have to remind myself a lot. And this is where regularly studying the Bible and prayer comes in. I go into the Bible looking for promises and actually need to take hold of them. I need to and try to and do write them down. I write them down on my planner, on my calendar. I write them down and post cards so that I can remind myself of them. I'm choosing to insert those truths as thoughts during my day and focus my mind on them when my messed up nature suggests the wrong choices again. I'm failing, but then I'm turning to repent, and then I'm experiencing forgiveness, and I feel that washing away and that cleansing that is forgiveness, and I'm redeemed. One of the best descriptions of this daily war within myself to walk with Jesus, this process every day, is from one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. He wrote in Mere Christianity, he wrote this, The real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in simply shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger life come flowing in and so on, all day. So Lewis gives us that picture of the so on all day. It's not like a one-time thing. It's a repeat event, a repeat warring and fighting and battling. That sense I mentioned of the clean slate is powerful. The fact that I can move through each day with a constant and repeatable clean slate brings so much freedom and peace just so much freedom. And it's not something we can earn. It's a free gift of God offered through Jesus Christ by grace through faith alone. And Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This brings me so much peace, and it applies to my whole life, all my mistakes, and every failure. Because of Jesus, I get redemption and restoration, and I am accepted and loved by my Creator. Lastly, I'm going to leave you with a picture of future perfection, of future completion that is given in the Bible, and it's Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am so very thankful that you've joined me for this week's episode. If you found this podcast helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave me a review on iTunes. This will help others find the show. If you are looking for more direction and help reaching your goals, the 30-Day Blueprint, which is my video course, is available on demand to help you cut through confusion and get you results. 
To find it, you can go to my website at joyfulweightloss.com. Remember, that's joyful spelled with two L's. I'd also love to hear from you if you have any topics or questions you'd like me to discuss on the show. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at joyful.weightloss.md, or you can shoot me an email at sarah at joyfulweightloss.com. That's joyful with two L's. Thank you.